We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know. And sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully the justice that was ultimately delivered. Jonah Lanto. Don Palumbo. Hi. Well, hello again, my friend. Hi. Hi. I'm damn glad to be here. I'm I'm damn glad to be here with you. So in in this episode, we're actually going to be coming at you from two places. Most of this episode was originally recorded at a typical, sadly, I failed on one of my most important jobs, and that's pushing the record button when we are doing these episodes live. So you donned it. You, yeah. you pulled it on. Oh, that, would have, that would have been that would have been me. That would have been my move. I, I really, can't even, yeah. Thanks for covering my ass on that yeah, one. So yeah. it uh, we'll blame Don. Yeah. It, it reminds me of Wayne's World when they're like, I'm in Wayne's basement, but that's not Wayne's basement. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I can bring a Wayne's World joke in, I'm in. So the first few minutes of this are studio recorded and then you'll catch the a typical aspect of it. So huge thanks to everyone who came out for that sold out show and a big thanks to everyone who takes the time out of their busy life to rate and review Midwest murder on iTunes and Spotify. I deeply appreciate the fact that we can sometimes be somebody's distraction from their life. For sure. And I just think that's awesome. So I appreciate yeah. you guys. So Don, I'm a little curious. What are folks saying about Midwest murder these days? Well, true crime fanatic, 86, five stars, Blood on the Prairie, chilling. I heard about you guys from a friend's Facebook post and to check it out as I love true crime. I've been binging the last three days of your episodes while driving back home on vacation and mowing our yards. Thank you. I I like to do that too. While they are all good, Blood on the Prairie is literally giving me chills while I'm mowing in 90 degree weather. It just gave me chills to hear that. Oh, I'm a, I'm, I'm, hi, it's my first day. I'm a North Dakota native, but I now live an hour and a half south of Lincoln, Nebraska, and I'm just so shocked. Love the shows, fun banter, and your personalities. Can't wait to get through all your episodes and hope to catch a next catch a show next time I head back to North Dakota for a visit. That's maybe, awesome. Maybe we'll make it to Nebraska. Maybe we'll see you in Lincoln yeah. sometime in the not too distant future. Thank you so much for that review. That's yeah, outstanding. Thank you. Maybe maybe when you see us, I'll have uh, my mouth will work and I'll be able to say words. <laughs> uh it's a lot of L, a lot of I's, a lot of E's, and a lot of Y's. Like um, Livy, something like that. Four stars. New to the podcast. I just started listening, and I'm enjoying the podcast. I have lived in North Dakota all my life, and remember quite a few of these. I do think Jonah interrupts way too much, though. Oh, <laughs> come on, man. It's all right, Jonah. Keep your mouth shut, man. It's part of the I'm show. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I feel like if anybody, if anybody listens to the dollop, I think that most of my higher interruption moments come after I've been binging the dollop because their show is really based on those 
sort of interruptions from the characters they kind of sure, personify sure. in the story. So sure, anyways. But, but sometimes I like to finish a thought. <laughs> oh, thanks, Don. <laughs> Making me self-conscious about this. Now they're going to believe you. Now, now they're, they're going to pile on me even more as if we I haven't know, talked about it and you reassured me. I know. It's fine. It's fine. All you know, right. You know what else is fine? The what? big awesome and consistent portions at Shots Crossroad. Their ranch is probably better than fine. It's great. It's wonderful. It's, it's excellent. I had, I, had a, I had a friend. Lately. I had a friend. Oh, I interrupted you. How about yeah. that? I had a friend from Colorado text me um, back, you know, from our childhood and asked me if I could steal their recipe. So for the ranch for the ranch. That's, That's how, how good serious it is. This That's is. how good it is. Big thanks to Shots Crossroads for sponsoring us. And I've had friends tell me they do double dip ranch and gravy. People are coming out. What? People are coming out of the coming out of the woodworks. They're supporting your what efforts kind? to to ranch gravy, all of it. No, 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 no. You don't double dip it. That's insane. I'll no, dip it all at shots. Oh <laughs> Huge. Uh, and I, I love, I love the crispy chicken strips, the crinkle cut fries. And again, the consistent product. It's a, fa- it's a friendly and social atmosphere. Shots has built itself on that for 45 years. And what I love too, their, their convenience store. If you're driving through quickly in the morning, you need to stop and get something. They've got deli sandwiches ready to go. They always have deals on the energy drinks. And if you need to fill your tank, Shots offers an additional seven cents off per gallon when you pay with cash. And they're usually cheaper than competitors to begin with. Yeah, that's worth, so, that's worth uh, carrying cash now. Hot breakfast sandwiches, delicious pies, Shots Crossroads. You know them, you love them. Don't forget your ranch. Right. So Don, I, I, I'm wondering... Have you ever been adjusted? I have adjusted many ways in life, um, you know, adapted, adjusted, but I presume, you, I presume you're talking about a chiropractor. Though. Well, <laughs> I mean, I got adjusted a time or two, uh, once back in the high school days, my, sure, my yeah. dad called them an attitude adjustment. <laughs> I think it's we a little all bit, use one. <laughs> yes. I, I, you know, I, I needed a few of those attitude adjustments back in the day. And that's not the the kind of adjustment I'm talking about. Although my attitude was improved after I left Premier Chiropractic oh, the other day, because I do love them. Becky gave me an adjustment that was just world class. My hip, I'm walking better, I'm feeling better, and the magic of what Premier Chiropractic does really comes down to combining several different aspects of patient care. They're great with their hands. They make the adjustments of bringing proper joint movement back. They combine that with muscle work. And they use a lot of manual therapy techniques. The last thing Premier does that's really exceptional is they incorporate exercise. They choose exercise techniques that best fit the individual patient. By combining those three aspects of patient care, they give their patients the best results. So they do adjustments, dry needling, soft tissue work. They have a rehab area to to do functional exercises. So I'm not, I, that was my first chiropractic experience really? actually oh, at premier yeah. with Becky and phenomenal. Yeah, uh, it's, I, it, it can be, forgive me for being dramatic. It can be life-changing. <laughs> it really can. <laughs> so we, we want you to experience the difference at premier chiropractic. Their locations are in Minot, Kenmare and Stanley, and they focus on prenatal pediatrics and athletes. That's their kind of specialty, but they can work with anyone to help improve overall body function. Check them out at premierchiropracticnd.com or on Facebook. It's Premier Chiropractic ND. Thanks again to Premier yeah, for sponsoring you. this episode big, big of Midwest Murder. Today, we're heading back to a year that damn near seems like yesterday, 2016. The Summer Olympics were held in Rio de Janeiro, marking the first time the Olympics were held in South America. 
Michael Phelps became the most decorated Olympian of all time. I remember the the Sports Illustrated cover, him wearing all of his medals, right? Or maybe I'm yeah. off by 10 years. No, no, I think you're right. Chewbacca mom. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that was 2016. <laughs> she became the fun and positive, positive social media hit that everyone didn't know they needed. And I, we need to so come funny. back. Chewbacca mom, come back. We need you. <laughs> I know. After 108 years, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series for the first time. They broke the curse of the goat. I'm like, and, who, and I'm like who cares? I, I, I think that's cool. Though. It's very, it's very cool. And if you're a Cubs fan, you care. That's it's a big like, deal. Yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan. So when we finally broke the curse of the babe, like, man, it matters. Leonardo DiCaprio finally took home a much, a much, <laughs> much deserved Oscar. That's, I wonder if it was 25 years old. Okay. Ooh. I did, I did that. Five oh. Dallas police officers are murdered by a sniper. Highly divided votes in the United States and Europe lead to the election of Donald Trump in the former and Brexit in the latter. 49 people were murdered inside of Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, during a three-hour standoff with police, resulting in the deadliest mass shooting by a single shooter in United States history and the largest act of violence against the LGBTQ community in U.S. history. Very dark moment. So sad. Pokemon Go was the most downloaded app of the year, sending millions and millions of people outside to chase Pokemon in parks and other public places. I know, I know it's, um, you know, it was worldwide, but it just feels very American. Like, <laughs> like yeah. let's let a video game or like an app take us outside to you, go find things. You know like what's that- funny is that it's, it's, I mean, it feels that way, but I feel like They've been doing that in places like Japan for like a long time, incorporating okay, exercise fair. through video games. Like they're ahead, they were ahead well, of the game. And I guess whatever gets our fat asses moving. I Seriously, mean, so it's yeah, like, what, it's I, I, people yeah. getting their steps in thanks to Pokemon. Okay. All right. I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> the number one film of the year. And this really surprised me was actually the sequel to finding Nemo finding Dory. It beat out star Wars, rogue one, captain America, civil war, the secret life of pets, and even Deadpool. Deadpool was the second highest grossing rated R film of all time. I, I, you're not alone in your surprise. That surprises me too. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and yeah. it's great. It's great. The Pixar movies are great. All of that. But it just surprised yeah. me to see it above all the, the Marvel stuff, the Star Wars stuff. And finally, in 2016, zookeepers in Cincinnati had to make the dreadful choice to shoot 17-year-old male gorilla Harambe, subsequently leading to one of the greatest internet meme eras in modern history. Rest in peace, Harambe. We We miss miss you. you. U.S. Highway 218 is an original United States highway created in 1926, spanning 321.7 miles, otherwise known as four and a half to five hour drive here in the Midwest. Thank you. Now now I I understand. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. (laughs) It starts in downtown Keokuk, Iowa, and runs north across the border into southeastern Minnesota, right up to Owatonna, Blooming Prairie, Minnesota about 20 minutes south of Owatonna, is one of the many quiet, run-of-the-mill small towns along Highway 218. And I hope I said Owatonna I know, correctly every time, because now, we got shit about it last we time. Did. Well, you did. I did, yeah. So I hope I said it right this time. I think I said it Owatonna, and I think you said it Owatonna, and I'm pretty sure it's Owatonna. Somewhere in the Either middle, way, it's right. Either way, we will get corrected. A community of just under 2,000 people surrounded by cornfields 
Most folks living in Blooming Prairie are on a first-name basis with one another. It's the kind of place where residents leave the front door unlocked and golf carts are street legal, just so long as you provide proof of insurance and obtain a permit from the city for an annual fee of 20 bucks. I mean, I feel like you could be on first name basis with anybody anywhere. You'd be like, hey, fuckers, what's up? Like, <laughs> that's I mean, first I, name basis. Huh? I mean, I feel like that's, it, how you're yeah. go- that's how you're leading in. <laughs> yeah. Hanging out with your friends and family, fishing, grilling steaks, watching the light. Hanging out with your family, your friends, fishing, grilling steaks, watching the Vikings lose football games in your buddy's huge garage that doubles as a sweet ass man cave with a beer fridge, bowling, hunting, shooting pool at the local bar, church on Sundays. That's a good life in Blooming Prairie. And yes, he said Vikings losing football. That's, yes. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not apologizing for him. I'm just calling it out one more time. It happened. It's real. <laughs> Y'all know you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Reese and his wife of over 35 years found and built all that and much more in the small town of Blooming Prairie. Through hard work, struggle, risk, and considerable effort, the Reeses were living out the American dream. Dave Reese met his future wife, Lois, when they were just teenagers at Mayo High School in Rochester, Minnesota. Dave joined the Navy and got stationed in San Diego, where he ultimately married Lois at the age of 19. She was 20. Things moved pretty quickly after that, with Lois birthing three children, one daughter and two sons, over the next four years. Lois settled in as a loving mother, always putting the kids first. After Dave finished serving in the military, the couple returned to their hometown of Rochester and went right to work. Dave picked up a job as a forklift operator, and Lois ran a daycare from their home. An avid, knowledgeable fisherman who was always quick to share the secret spots where the fish were biting, Dave Reese eventually opened a small shop where he sold live bait and tackle. He finally called it the Bait Box. Dave's entrepreneurial spirit drove him toward dreams that were bigger than the bait box. In 2005, the Reese family relocated to Blooming Prairie, where Dave invested in that dream to open a wax worm farm. I, Say it. I, I know you, I know, I, I know I, you need you know, to ask I, it, Don. I know you need to ask it, and he, it's, it's good. Did he call it, I got worms? No, <laughs> no, that's gross. I thought no, you were going to ask me. No, it's me. from Dumb and Dumber. Oh, well, that's like, funny. No, it's funny, yeah. but it's also gross. But also, worms. what the deuce is a worm farm? Now, right. worm farm itself is pretty self-explanatory. One of our listeners, though, pointed out that it is for ice fishing. They're short little yeah, of course. worms for ice fishing. Welcome to the Midwest. <laughs> but let me tell you, not once prior to researching this case had I ever considered People were out there farming worms for profit and widespread distribution to bait shops, gas stations, etc. I mean, it makes perfect it sense. It makes perfect sense. But I yeah. never once yeah. considered the concept. Right. And I, I feel like I really miss the mark on my dreams, you know? I feel like you encounter that thought quite a bit I here do. on I do. Every Western time I was episodes. like, man, that would have been a cool career. Yeah. On February 16th, 2006, just a few months after relocating, the Reese family lost their home to a fire and with it, everything they had even their family pets. It was a terrible loss and a setback likely caused by faulty wiring, which Dave himself installed. Fortunately, Dave, Lois, and the kids were able to rebuild, erecting a new three-bedroom, two-bath home. Lois returned to her former career of running an in-home daycare. Over the years, the Reese's became grandparents 
and Dave's Wax Worm Farm business boomed. Lois was the epitome of a loving Midwest grandma, pampering her grandchildren with gifts and spending as much time with them as she possibly could. She bought them ATVs to ride around on the property and made sure they all had cell phones. Recognized by the community as a fun-loving person with a great smile, Lois joined the Blooming Prairie Bowling League at Bunkies, the four-lane alley on Main Street. Her team played in tournaments throughout the state. Dave wasn't a bad bowler either, although he preferred to shoot pool with the guys. A generous woman who loved cooking, Lois was thoughtful, kind, and kept a clean house. The Reese Farm was a jovial place to be. Oftentimes, Lois prepared hot breakfast sandwiches for the parents dropping kids off at her daycare, and she made time to cook for the Worm Farm employees. Their favorite Lois dish was lasagna. This woman made breakfast sandwiches for her daycare kids. Or daycare kid parents. Yes. Right. Forget the kids. I don't care Forget about the kids. The, kids. Like the parents. Like, so if I'm dropping a child off at daycare, a hot this, this chick has given me a sandwich. Hot Sammy. Ready to go. A plus daycare. That did not happen once in my life. Zero times in my life with probably half a dozen daycares was I offered a hot breakfast sandwich. I can't even make my own breakfast sandwich sometimes. <laughs> Dang. Around 2014, Lois stopped running the daycare and helped occasionally on the worm farm which by now was a highly profitable business with clientele, including Walmart, Quick Trip, and numerous bait shops in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Iowa. They were shipping bait worms all over the country. Winter, during ice fishing season, was the busiest time of the year. And Dave treated his employees really well, mostly younger men in their late teens and early 20s. He took them fishing, filled their trucks with gas, gave them cash bonuses. And fishing was Dave's foremost passion. He was damn good at it. Fishing in major tournaments, even doing well enough to win money. You can often find Dave playing pool in the back room at J&H Liquors, Miller Lite nearby, bullshitting with a handful of his many close friends. Dave was funny, a natural jokester, and one of the easiest people you could ever talk to. His laughter could fill a room. Sounds like a cool guy. Great atmosphere to you be know, around You know, like him. The, the typical, hey, you could have a beer with that guy. Absolutely. But, yeah. You find him, you, you could belly up at the bar, and if you found this guy there, right. or you, you shot pool with him, you're in and for a nice yeah, little time. For sure. The back room at J&H Liquors on Thursday, March 8th, 2018, was the last time Dave's friends saw him. The men enjoyed a few beers, some laughs, a couple of games of pool, Dave and Lois had weekend plans to watch their grandson compete in a Wisconsin basketball tournament. On the evening of Friday, March 23rd, the Blooming Prairie Police Department dispatched a pair of officers to check in on things at the Reese farm after receiving calls from people concerned for the well-being of Dave Reese. Worm farm employees hadn't seen him for several weeks, and Dave wasn't returning calls to his business partner, although he did reply to a few text messages. But there was something odd about Dave's replies. They all used punctuation. Dave never used punctuation. So the words in his texts always ran together. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dead yeah. giveaway. Oh, yeah. And I did not mean to use the word dead. Oh, yeah. That's it's a giveaway. Oh, it happened. Uh-huh. Yep. It did. 
Dave was supposed to head to a fishing tournament on Tuesday, March 20th, but a couple of Worm Farm employees watched Lois drive away from the farm that week on Thursday in the couple's white Cadillac Escalade, the same vehicle Dave should have been using to pull his 20-foot-long boat to the tournament. The boat hadn't moved, and the employees hadn't seen Lois since. Did she feed him a breakfast sandwich? That's what I want to know. Is that how this, that's how it, end of story, it it's started. done. It's over. We know it's what breakfast happened. breakfast sandwich. When no one answered the door at the Reese home, officers initiated a perimeter search, walking the snow-covered ground around the house, peering into the windows for any sign of activity. When they noticed a light coming from a bathroom window, one officer boosted the other to get a look. He spotted what appeared to be a body covered by a blanket, The cops called for backup from the Dodge County Sheriff's Office. After their arrival, law enforcement found the body of Dave Reese on the bathroom floor. The jolly fisherman had been dead for at least 10 days. The putrid stench of death clung to the air. Wait, wait, wait. This is in the house? Yes. His decomposing body was starting to bloat. Well, and let's face it, it's starting to leak at that point. At 10 days... Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Well, really, everybody's like, oh, I called it it out. I did. (laughs) Dave Reese was shot once in the chest and once in the back with a 22 caliber handgun. One of the bullets pierced straight through his right forearm, a likely defensive wound. The date was Friday, March 23rd. And Dave's missing wife, Lois Reese, a 56 year old grandmother, widely recognized in the community as delightful, happy, and fun-loving, was the prime suspect. But she had left, though. Like she, had, she pieced she, out. Yeah, oh, uh, okay. they, they saw her in, in his vehicle leaving, thought it was weird because so what, what, he should have been driving that vehicle to his fishing tournament. What scared me there for a second is I thought she was still living in the house. Like, that was, that's where I... Well, they lived that, together, for sure. Well, I know, but that's where I got alarmed. I'm like, hang on a second, your husband is... He's there dead. There. Somebody saw her leave in the white Escalade. The Reese children, of course, were naturally frantic with sadness upon learning of their father's death, and they had no idea where their mother was. She hadn't replied to their messages. One of her sons told investigators she didn't open any of his Snapchats. Working through the night, police tracked Lois's cell phone to a location just across the Iowa border. It was about a 45-minute drive from Blooming Prairie. On Saturday, March 24th, Investigators from the Dodge County Sheriff's Office, Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, and Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation converged on the Diamond Joe, a farm-themed casino. But Lois Reese was already gone. Hang on one second. I want to go back to, so the defensive wound through his, through his arm, yep. right? I mean, so... They believe it was a defensive wound well, you through would, his you arm. you would think so. I like, mean... So if that's the case, I mean, he saw, he saw it coming. If you can, if you can get your arm up. So certainly possible. If she is a suspect, that was the last thing that he saw. Yeah. We just want to. Okay. Yep. Mm. Investigators began retracing the steps of Lois Reese. Ben Bowl received the assignment of general investigator of the case. He was quickly joined by a small task force, including U.S. Marshal Brian Smith. Here's what they learned on Monday, March 12th. Lois showed up to the Worm Farm office, acting despondent and not her usual self. She told workers, quote, Dave's not feeling good. I've got to take care of him. 
They didn't see Dave or Lois on Tuesday or Wednesday. Lois returned to the office on Thursday, advising staff Dave was still sick and she'd be taking him to the doctor on Friday. It was odd, but Worm Farm employees didn't want to bother Dave. He was known to have a history of stomach problems. Seemed par for the course. Lois lingered around the office that day, not really doing much, kind of mulling about. She stared out the window for a long time toward the home she shared with her husband of 35 years. The following week, Lois told staff Dave was cleared by the doctor to compete in the season opener of the Cabela's Masters Walleye Circuit, a fishing competition on the Illinois River. That meant he'd leave on Tuesday morning, pick up his buddy Danny Clark, and make the five-hour drive to the competition. But when, when employees watched Lois Reese drive off in Dave's Escalade on Thursday, knowing he was supposed to leave in that to the tournament on Tuesday, they knew something was off and finally decided to contact the police the following day, Friday. That's when they found his body. Surveillance, surveillance footage placed Lois Reese at the Diamond Joe Casino on Friday. In fact, investigators learned she went there frequently. Lois loved the slot machines, and she preferred playing in the high rollers room. The casino was right off I-35, and Lois bought a sandwich at the come-and-go gas station next door. At 6.30 p.m., video surveillance showed her, 5'5", about 165 pounds, dressed in white slacks and a black-and-white striped cardigan, unbuttoned over a purple shirt. Her hair was bleached to the point of looking white. While police were just discovering the body of her husband, Lois Reese was asking the clerk for directions and buying a sandwich after she just hit the slots at Diamond Joe. Her own, slot, her own sandwiches weren't good enough? Nope, guess not. Investigator Ben Bull also learned... During the week while her husband's body was rotting away in the bathroom of their home, Lois was forging and cashing checks from the worm farm and from Dave's personal account. She forged two checks from the worm farm, one for $8,684.80, the other for $1,209.60. She deposited those into Dave's account. Then she cashed three checks drawn from his account for $2,500, $7,500, and $1,000. The last two on March 3rd, 11000 bucks. March 23rd. Yeah. yeah. The okay. last two on March 23rd. Hmm. Lois's 22 handgun was also missing. This particular gun was a limited edition Colt Woodsman given to Lois by her late father. So now Lois Reese was on the lam. And the hunt to find her quickly went nationwide. The usually quiet, flyover, drive through it in 39 seconds town of Blooming Prairie was now headline news. And the headline read, Killer Granny on the Loose. I wish I could come up with headlines. I feel like that would be fun. They, they just like crushed that one, huh? A million, like million percent clickbait. I would do it. Yeah. While most people in the community knew the Reeses as affable, regular folks living a good life, as fun-loving, supportive grandparents, the investigation found a somewhat troubled history, but no true certainty to everyone's biggest question. Why would Lois kill her husband? And not get a divorce. 
Just get man, the divorce, man. Divorce is easier than murder, so folks. So easier. So much easier. In the years leading to Dave's murder, Lois developed an egregious gambling habit. She bamboozled worm farm employees for donations to buy Dave a golf cart that he could use to get around more easily, but the cart never appeared. Her son, Braden, told Inside Edition that Lois gambled away $500,000, an inheritance from her father. Okay, hang on a second. If your son, Half a million bucks. If your son is telling shit about you on Inside Edition... You were not a good person. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I mean, at the very least, you I fucked mean, up. I mean, you're on Inside Edition. Your son's like, man, she sucks. Half like, a million bucks. Wow. Wow. Speaking of Lois's father, following his death, it's also suspected that she took the money assigned for his internment and gambled it away on slots at the Diamond Joe. Oh man, that's not the worst of it. Years prior, in 2010. Lois's oldest sister, Kim, had a mental breakdown following the collapse of her marriage. Kim lived with Dave and Lois for a time before being placed in adult foster care. In 2012, Lois applied to become Kim's conservator and legal guardian. No. According to Lois's filing, Kim suffered from bipolar disorder, clinical depression, and had the cognitive capacity of a 10-year-old. In required annual filings, Lois reported that her sister's emotional, mental, and physical states deteriorated. According to her notes, Kim also had schizophrenia and Parkinson's disease. Lois alleged that Kim suffered from obsessive-compulsive disorder, which, get this, Don, compelled her to go on lavish shopping sprees. Okay, so let me get this straight. So Lois's notes... Lois's, about about yeah, her sister. Detailed notes. So this is the report that she's filing with the state. Mm-hmm. She's got emotional, mental, and uh, a deteriorated Bipolar. physical state, right? Yep. And then, Diminished but also, capacity, yep. also has schizophrenia and Parkinson's disease and obsessive compulsive disorder that causes a lot of shopping. So a lot of money spent. I mean, Kim, that is a rough, that's a rough go of it for her. And I don't think I believe it. Yeah. It's not the list of attributes I want on my player well, card. I mean, mental me health, mental health is health, yeah, it right? Is. You know, but it just feels like I don't believe it. Well, poor Kim. What happens to her? I need know. to know. You'll be excited to, to know. know. Lois's conservatorship granted her access to Kim's $200,000 inheritance. Of course it did. And yep. she withdrew thousands of dollars at a time from an ATM at, guess where, Don? The Diamond Joe. The Diamond Joe Casino. Weird, weird. It's farm themed. Yeah. A court audit from 2015 exposed widespread theft and mishandling of Kim's money. A social worker advocating on Kim's behalf requested suspension of Lois's role as guardian and conservator. Lois had explanations, but the court didn't buy them. On October 8th, 2015, her guardianship was suspended, and four months later, she was officially discharged. I wish I had that social worker's name. I don't, but shout out to that lady. Shout out to her because it took five years, which it could have taken 10, 15, 20. It could have just been. Could have been never. I mean, social workers workloads or caseloads are high, you know, so to be able to, to, you know, give that kind of attention to it is that's awesome. The Steele County attorney's office decided not to press criminal charges against Lois after a judge ordered her to repay 100 $5,034 $5,034 to Kim. That's it? I mean, she must have not have spent the rest. I don't know. But I mean, $100,000 out of $200,000 seems like, I don't know, seems seems like an all right number. 
depending on. Does, depending does it seem, on. Doesn't seem equal, but yeah, sure. Well, it, it didn't say she depleted the 200,000. That's just what she right, had access fair. to. Yeah. I don't like Lois. I don't want her breakfast sandwiches. I'm, I'm against her yeah. already. I, <laughs> no I'm more making, breakfast sandwiches am, from am, Lois. No, I am. My I'm, kids ain't going there for daycare. No, I'm making an unfair assumption of her. Maybe. In July 2016, Lois vanished without a word for three days. When Dave saw new debts popping up on their shared accounts, he reported her missing to police. When she returned, Lois told Dave she was with a friend in Minneapolis and acted like it wasn't a big deal. Hang on, I'm... She dipped for three I, days, no big deal. He, she dipped for three days, and but it was only until he started seeing charges, he's like, yeah. shit, I guess I'm, I have to, I guess, <laughs> I guess I have to report her missing. Yeah, <laughs> like, once it started hitting the checkbook, he man, was like, damn it. That's starting to affect me now. Yeah. Now it's a problem. Dave had a lot of really close friends. Numerous reports came from that circle of friends who heard Dave make the ominous statement over the years, quote, if I ever go missing, you come looking for Lois. But yes, let's stay married. That's good. That's good. <laughs> like that would, if that's a surefire sign, you should get a divorce. Right. Like, like if you are, if you were concerned, if you are concerned sorry, for Dave. your safety later. Yes, I mean, no, it's bad. Dave, I rest in peace. But come on, man. After the sighting in Iowa, Lois Reese seemingly disappeared, while the investigation into her life continued to dig deeper. The Reese children worked closely with investigators to help locate their mother and learn the truth of what happened to their father. Agents spent hundreds of collective hours digging through paperwork, bank statements, notes, and computers looking for clues to her whereabouts. U.S. Marshal Smith heard speculation that Dave Reese had cut his wife off after she completely exhausted all the money in their savings account. Money that he was saving for a new vehicle. For Dave, that was the straw that broke the horse's back. Dave told Lois if she wanted money, she had to come work for it on the farm. Quote, Lois was likable, but you always knew she was a click off, said Scott Carlson, one of Dave's inner circle of friends. She did some oddball shit. Like, I feel home in that statement. Like it's, it's like, you know, you're just... At a bar and like, yeah, man, she was a click off. I, I'm going to, I'm going to adopt that now. Relatable. Like that. That's it like, is, it's like, I feel like I've heard that from someone. That before. conversation's yeah. happening in a yeah. Midwest bar right yeah. now. She did some weird shit, man. Shit. One of you guys probably yeah. talked some shit like that tonight <laughs> before the show started. I know. <laughs> I feel I, 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 I made a joke about Dave, you know, that, you know, come on, man, you should have just gotten a divorce. But like, I, I feel for the guy. Like he, he went through living hell here. The further investigators looked into the life of Lois Reese, the more red flags they found. Shortly after being exposed for stealing from her sister Kim, Dave came home during a lunch break to use the shitter. Well, that's real classy. Wow. He found, he found Lois unconscious in a chair. It was an intentional overdose attempt using pain pills. Dave called 911. First responders arrived quickly and saved Lois's life using CPR. She was then airlifted by helicopter to St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester, part of the Mayo Clinic. She was hospitalized for several weeks. Returning home after recovering, Lois stayed out of sight in Blooming Prairie for quite some time following the incident. When she started going out again, she acted as if nothing happened. 
And so did everyone else. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, are you going to call it out and be like, hey, failed suicide attempt. Hi. Hi. I'm here. I'm here. And I'm not making a joke about suicide. Like, that's not at all. But of course, you're not going to call it out and be like, everything's fine. I'm fine. Like, well, nobody knew it was a suicide attempt, but people knew there was some sort of strange medical incident sure. that resulted in yeah. her being airlifted. And, so and, and please, no, you know, I am yeah. not making light of, of that. Not, not no, at all. No, that is no. That. Mental health is health. It's 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 a gosh, it sucks. So, well, but it's but I'm just saying, like, not gonna she's not gonna call it out. No. Well, and I think it's not uncommon in a in a small town or probably even a big town when things no. like that they sort of just get you swept under like the rug. Happened. And I, I think yep. the difference here is that this is like sweeping something, sweeping shit under the rug while everyone watches you do it. Like everyone knows it's happening. Well, everyone right? knows that she's just yeah. a click off and that's just yep. it. Right. Like that's, yep. you know, and Dave, Dave made efforts to shield his wife from the cruel gossip. Uh, and he never revealed too much, even to his closest friends, but he did make offhand comments to them about her gambling. Once he confided in a friend about finding Lois unconscious quote, that was one of the biggest mistakes of my life going up to the house that day. Oh. Whoa. Yeah. That's heavy. So So do you suppose he you know, he wishes he would have waited a couple well, extra minutes to call nine one one? No, no, like, I think he just wishes he never would have gone there gone and gone used up. the shitter. Oh man. <laughs> That's you know. That's a, that's such a bummer. You know, I mean, you're, you know, you're dealing with, it is you're, you're talking sad. about, you're talking about someone that is dealing with an addiction, right? So a clear mental health issue, right? An addiction that is, that has taken so much control of her life that she is now, uh, I mean, she's stealing from her sister. She's making shit up about her sister. She's embezzling from their Stole own company. The I mean, yep. everything, you know, I mean, that is... That's a lot. And then, and then for poor Dave, you know, to, to a stay married to her. And then, and then also like, but then shield her from the gossip too. You know, that's, that's a good guy there. On March 29th, nearly a week after the discovery of Dave's body, there was still no sign of Lois Reese. The Dodge County Sheriff's Office released an arrest warrant for felony theft for the stolen and forged checks and as a person of interest in the murder of David Reese. The part of the statement that stood out to me was this. Lois Ann Reese is 5'6", 165 pounds with brown eyes and last seen with light blonde hair. Although the attached picture to their statement shows Lois has altered her appearance in the past. She's known to frequent casinos and is likely driving a white 2005 Cadillac Escalade with Minnesota license plates. In a news conference, authorities said Lois Reese looked and acted the part of a kind, loving grandma, but beneath the facade, she is a dangerous, cold-blooded killer. And I want to stop, and I want everyone to picture right now in their minds, including you, Don Palumbo, the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words cold-blooded killer. The guy from No Country for Old Men. That's a good answer. That's it. He's Mm -hmm. he's one. For me, it's an assassin clad in black with a handgun and a suppressor on it that will sneak into a house and just kill a family for money. That's cold-blooded killer those so that first like image John that comes Kuzak to mind gross point blank is that no, no nobody is conjuring the image yeah 
of a grandma no, in I, reference to those words. Raise, raise your hand if you thought of a grandma. Yeah, nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Law enforcement. A grandma, a grandma who sends her daycare kid parents off with sandwiches. Sandwiches. Why I can't get over Hot a sandwich, sandwich, I don't Hot know. Hot sandwiches. Like, Not like cold ham sandwiches. Yeah, so here. Fuck your Scotch Roos, but give me a breakfast sandwich. <laughs> so that's, that is where I, that's where I belong. Yeah, clearly that one speaks to me. Law enforcement really had no idea where she was. And with more than 10,000 bucks in hand, what she planned to do? Well, that could be gone in an hour for her. Or it could get her to a bunch of places, right? Yeah. On Monday, April 2nd, 2018... Brianna Coster, working at her parents' dealership in Blooming Prairie, got a phone call from a really nice lady identifying herself as a friend of Brianna's parents. Hey, I'm in Fort Myers Beach and want to visit Tess and Rod, but I don't have the address. Brianna's parents, snowbirds from Blooming Prairie, were always inviting friends to their Florida condo. She didn't think twice about giving out the address, 880 3rd Street. Brianna did contact her mother, Tess, to let her know that a lady called inquiring about the address. Well, no, everybody's going to show up there. Later that, well, they already are. Later that same day, April 2nd, Tess Coaster saw a woman with a white ponytail creeping around the edge of her driveway. Tess didn't initially recognize Lois Reese and assumed the woman was there to inquire about a rental. Can I help you, she asked. When the woman looked up, Tess immediately recognized Lois, and her heart froze. The woman ducked her head and muttered, Wrong house, and quickly scurried off. Tess watched Lois drive away in a white Escalade. So clearly, she this woman is also not only a cold-blooded killer grandma, but like dumber than a pail of hammer handles, because, I mean, she's, you know, like creeping around, right? to a place where she knows that people are going to be. It's March. Of course they're still there. Well, Lois might have had a more devious plan. Her and Tess shared a similar appearance. Tess and her husband, Rod, were fully aware of Dave's murder. They called 911. Deputies from Lee County Sheriff's Office arrived about 30 minutes later. Fort Myers Beach law enforcement knew Lois was wanted on felony theft and in connection to Dave's murder, but they assumed being spotted by Tess scared her off the island. Compelled by the power of that assumption, Fort Myers Beach police didn't stake out the bridge to the mainland or search the island for Lois and her Escalade or issue any warnings whatsoever to the general public that an armed, dangerous, and, quote, cold-blooded killer was spotted in the area. Now, I mean, Don, she just had to be leaving Florida after getting spotted, right? I mean, right? She's, she's gone. She got spotted. She's out. I mean, right? I, know, I know they do shit differently in Florida. Like, we all know that. <laughs> but come on, really? Uh, like, just One week later. Let her walk away. About two blocks away from the coaster property, Marina Village manager Lori Russell was checking rental units for a water leak. A foul-smelling odor emanating from Unit 404 led her to believe it was the possible source of a sewage backup. But something about the room seemed off when she entered. Lori asked two male guests who were just outside if they would go in with her. The men discovered the body of a clearly deceased female lying on the bathroom floor. 
It was now Monday, April 9th, at 6.45 p.m., when Lee County Sheriff's received the call. The Major Crimes Unit responded to the scene and assumed the investigation. The deceased woman was soon identified as 59-year-old Pamela Hutchinson. A towel was draped over her body, and the crack beneath the door stuffed with more towels. An effort to seal the door, the thermostat was turned all the way down to 61 degrees. Given the early stages of decomposition, it was determined Pamela had been dead for several days and was likely caught off guard by the killer, as evidenced by her partially used toothbrush in the sink, possibly dropped when she was killed. A pillow, pierced with the soot of gunfire, was on top of her body. Pamela Hutchinson was shot twice in cold blood, likely from behind, while brushing her teeth. Who the One. hell is this woman? Like, this is, this is, wow. I mean, turn, turn the thermostat down, shot her through a pillow. I mean, obviously she's watched movies and, and uh, like, I'm glad you brought that up that she's watched movies because we made mention of the suppressor and the silencer back on that sniper ep- episode. And we we're like, mm-hmm, why the hell do people mm-hmm, use it, mm-hmm. etc. It's obvious, And we've gotten lots of reasons as to why enough, it's, it's good. not just to kill people. Yeah. I, it's weird. Like, well, and it doesn't function as a pure silencer no, like they no, show in the movies. Right, but right. I really just thought that a person hiding a gunshot, muffling a gunshot with a pillow, it's just, it's only ever been in the movies until this instant. Yeah. It's weird. For this, me. this woman is terrifying. One shot took Pamela Hutchinson in her shoulder, and the other, the 22 caliber kill shot, penetrated numerous vital organs while passing through her body, including Pamela's left lung, her heart's atrium and aorta, her esophagus and right lung, before lodging in the cup of her bra. She crumbled to the floor as her intestines filled with blood. The last face Pamela Hutchinson saw as death painfully took her from this world was that of the new friend she made at the resort just days prior. So it's calculated. She's calculated. Investigators quickly started piecing together a timeline by interviewing guests at Marina Village, as well as those closely related to Pamela, and by reviewing the abundance of surveillance footage at Marina Village. Marina Village had cameras placed throughout all the major, tra- all the major traffic areas. Additionally, the premises required keycard access to do pretty much anything. When a keycard was used on the property, a digital log was created, including whose card was being used. The evidence helped investigators identify a number of stolen items, including clothes, money, credit cards, gold rings, and a key fob. The combination of digital information, surveillance, and interviews painted a fully time-stamped and tragic tapestry of deceit of the kind-hearted Pamela Hutchinson befriending, supporting, and enjoying life with the very person who meant to steal hers. Hutchinson's outgoing personality helped her build a, helped her build a successful career as a top-ranked sales, saleswoman in Virginia Beach. Two years prior, after a divorce, Pamela relocated to Bradenton, Florida in hopes of starting a new life. She rented in a gated community, but ultimately wanted to buy a home. Pamela quickly became one of the well-known, well-liked local transplants. Pontooning with newly made friends, her presence and famous corn chowder were equally dazzling at house parties. 
Pamela Hutchinson, described by one friend as, quote, too nice for her own good, arrived on the island of Fort Myers Beach on April 3rd. She came to the area with close friend Donna Fetro. Donna intended on spreading her, de- her deceased husband's ashes. Donna stayed with family at the Sanibel Resort. Hutchinson, on the other hand, opted for a timeshare location at Marina Village. After spending Tuesday evening and much of Wednesday with Fetro, Pamela declined Fetro's offer for dinner in Sanibel on Wednesday night. Hutchinson explained she met a wonderful woman at Marina Village. Pamela felt a strong connection to the woman after hearing her story of recently becoming widowed. Which was the truth. Yeah, yeah. This woman sucks. The two women spent three hours drinking together that night. Pamela picked up the tab and welcomed her new friend to stay in her condo. Okay. Come on. She's from Virginia Beach, not even from the Midwest. Why is she so nice? Super nice lady. That's a good question. Pamela Hutchinson, and this stings, Pamela Hutchinson originally planned to leave Fort Myers Beach on Thursday, April 5th, the day before she died, but she decided on staying one more night because of the connection she made with her new friend. It was so strong. She sent messages to other friends that I've met somebody and we've just connected and it's so strong. I want to stay here and keep hanging out. Okay. I'm done making friends. (laughs) No new friends for Don Palumbo. I don't want to do this anymore. This is, it's hard being human. It's hard enough being human and then got to worry about being nice to people and then them killing you. Cool. The two women went out for drinks at the Smoke and Oyster, a well-known local tourist, tourist dive. According to credit card transactions and surveillance footage, they left at 7.37 p.m. Hutchinson picked up the tab. Thursday night at 7.46 p.m., was the last time Pamela Hutchinson was seen alive when she, along with another woman, entered her condo. That other woman was spotted on camera again at 8.34 p.m. She was alone, crying, and acting distraught. Then she returned to Pamela's condo. Because she's the victim here. Yeah, uh uh-huh. I'm over her. I'm done. This is almost almost like Belle Gunness level for me where I'm just over it. I'm just done. I... She sucks. Done. She's a really nice grandma. Mm-hmm. Surveillance. I bet, I bet her sandwiches taste like shit too. <laughs> <laughs> Surveillance also showed the unidentified female transferring a number of items from a white Escalade into Pamela's Acura. Afterwards, she left driving the Escalade and then returned later on foot. Later that night, Donna Fetro texted Pamela from the beach where she intended to spread her husband's ashes. Donna never got a reply. Little did she know, Pamela was already dead. Which is strange when you consider all of the activities Pamela indulged in throughout the weekend. At 8.30 a.m. on Friday, April 6th... Let me stop you right there. I'm sure there's a casino somewhere. And, and I'm not I'm not making fun of gambling addiction. I'm not. I'm making fun of this piece of garbage grandma. Oh, we'll I, see. At 8.30 a.m. on Friday, April 6th, Lori Russell, manager of the Marina Village, received a call at the front desk from Condo 404. 
quote, oh my gosh, I slept until 4 p.m. yesterday and then I went out and met some great people and I'm going to go boating today, said the woman on the line. Is there any way I could just stay for the weekend? Russell agreed to put an additional three days on one of Hutchinson's credit cards that was on file. Just after 11 a.m. that day, Pamela Hutchinson showed up to her bank at Wells Fargo and made small talk with the teller while withdrawing $5,000 from her account. Because I bet, and pardon me if you already said this, but Pamela Hutchinson is blonde and about the same size. There you go. Oh, man. After she with, wasn't even being nice. She was looking for somebody that looked like her. Oh, After withdrawing the 5K, Pamela then drove, air quotes, Pamela then drove about four hours north to Ocala, Florida, checked into a Hilton, signed for room service twice, and ordered a pay-per-view movie. Classy, right? Just gotta get the movie. If it was, if it was, gotta porn, get the movie. If it, if it was porn, I'm walking away. Like if this, if this, if I she, wish. if she rented an adult movie, I am like. Man, I wish I had that detail. I would love, I would love to know what movie it was. Driving a white Acura TL, she left the Hilton on the following morning, April seventh, stopping along the way to make several more five hundred dollar ATM withdrawals. Where is this limit? Where is this daily limit on her card? Like. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Pamela, Pamela liked to travel. She was successful, so clearly had higher limits. And a Louisiana license plate reader caught the Acura traveling westbound on Interstate 10 near Lafayette. The vehicle was spotted again at the Cushada Casino Resort off State Highway 165 in the town of Kinder. The driver won a $1,500 jackpot on a $5 play. Of course she did. The jackpot winner used a driver's license and social security card to collect her winnings at 1.35 p.m., both forms of identification bearing the same name, Lois Reese. The evening before Hutchinson was found murdered, a sergeant with the Lee County Sheriff's Office, discovered an abandoned white Cadillac Escalade with Minnesota plates at Bowditch Point on the northern tip of Fort Myers Beach. He ran the registration and found that it belonged to Dave Reese. Investigators didn't know what to make of it until they watched the surveillance video from the Marina Village the following day, and then Tess Coaster finally came in to identify Lois Reese in the surveillance footage taken from the banks and other places, but Lois was long gone by then. And something I couldn't stop thinking about, Don, was just how long after meeting Pamela Hutchinson did Lois Reese decide she was going to kill her? And I feel like you already no, she, answered that because she, she, it, was she, she was already looking. She knew it before she met her. Wow. Yeah, she was looking, she was looking for that hair or, or similar <sighs> stature or something. The bizarre level of duplicitous fortitude it must have taken to spend several days eating, drinking, having fun, and making memories with a person you've marked for death. I just couldn't escape those thoughts. And the crime scene and the resulting activities, they don't suggest to me that it was a sudden or impulsive decision whatsoever, as no, you no, no, said. No, 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 this piece of shit is calculated. calculated. She's calculated, for sure. 
Tess Coaster reflects on her initial interaction with Lois at her rental property and wonders if Lois was there to kill her and take her identity. And what struck me time and again was just how fucking bold it was to confidently, audaciously assume someone else's identity after killing them. Lois Reese even wore Pamela's fedora and rings to oh, the bank. come on! She forged Pamela's signature, stole her money, and walked out of that bank without skipping a fucking beat. I would like to point out that you said the F word in front of your grandma twice. <laughs> hey, who do you think taught me how to say that word? <laughs> well done, Grandma Helen. Just kidding. I, I, I am... This is, this is like to a whole other level. Like this woman is beyond calculated, beyond calculated, where she could have just gotten a divorce and maybe filed for bankruptcy. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's it. That's it. Yeah. But no. I, I, Yet somehow this caring mother of three, grandmother of five caring. and long-term daycare provider to the kids of Blooming Prairie was staying a few steps ahead of law enforcement. Pamela Hutchinson's Acura TL was spotted again in Texas on April 8th at 11.16 p.m. Florida authorities, in conjunction with federal and Minnesota law enforcement, released a nationwide bolo be on the lookout. Lois's photos were shared across national media, and the reward for information leading to her arrest jumped to $6,000. Wanted billboards, in hopes of generating tips, went up across highways in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Authorities believe she'd try for Mexico, but there is no telling which access point she might head to, and Lois didn't have an active passport. That meant lives were in danger. After the sighting on April 8th, Lois Reese disappeared again. Border Patrol checkpoints were alerted. Lois's picture was shared with every crossing station, but there was really no guarantee that would stop her, especially if she managed to steal another identity. U.S. Marshals elevated Lois Reese to a major case status. South Padre Island, located in the Gulf Coast of Texas, is a 34-mile long stretch of tropical paradise. It's a globally recognized beach and travel destination hosting over a million visitors each year, but it only has 5,000 of its own residents. Due to its nature as a perpetual vacation destination teeming with tourists, South Padre Island was somewhat insulated enough from national media that news of cold-blooded killer Granny Losing streak Lois wasn't exactly the talk of the town. Wait, wait, wait. Somebody actually used that? Yes. That's not my original. Uh. She became known at this point in the national media as losing streak Lois. You know what? Some, yes, some... she was like not losing against the authorities, man. She was winning against their, them. Some people have dreams of worm farms. I have dreams of clickbait. Losing street, streak Lois. Like yeah. that is, I'm pissed I didn't think of it first. I know. I wish I could take credit for that. We should take a minute. There's a train. <laughs> I think they, they go through quick. Okay. So the fact that that was such a massive tourist destination, it allowed the grandmother to hide in plain sight. 
Amanda Camacho checked Lois in at the Motel 6, noting a fresh tattoo of a palm tree and beachside sunset on the side of her belly. Okay. Okay. It's kind of, I mean, like, granny granny tattoo's kind of hot, right, Don Palumbo? I mean, I mean, first of all, like... Hey, done do, some murders, does, might as well she, tattoo. How does she stay so fit? And second, really? Uh, this oh, you got a you got a tattoo of a palm tattoo. tree and a beachside sunset. I feel like it was sort of a and you know what disgusting and you know, memento. Hey, and to you know Pamela. what it is? It is. Pardon my language, Grandma Helen, but it's fucking tacky. You know it is. You know it is. Like it's not even a good one. I bet. And yeah. Yeah, she, and, but hey, let's commemorate this. That's what, it, ugh, she's icky. Palm tree and beachside sunset, and I'll mark that as the first post-murder tattoo that we've had on Midwest Murder. Wow. It's not a good thing. Wow. It's a weird thing. And it's a very I, weird it's, thing. I think it's very trophy-ish, honestly. Very, yeah. It's very yeah. trophy-ish. Well, she's got Pamela Hutchinson's, you know, uh, rings and her fedora, so why not get a tattoo? Yeah, got it, yep. So Lois... Checked in, looking all elderly and disheveled and run down when she later emerged in a very provocative outfit, ready to hit the town. It was a transformation. Oh, she's looking, she's... Hot to She is on the town. She is, she is on the prowl, looking, she is single and ready to mingle. That is... For real. Yes. Well, and she inquired with the person working at the front desk, what what are the great spots to hang out? And Lois spent the next week in South Padre, bellying up to the bar at local watering holes and introducing herself as Donna. You mean like Madonna? One bartender asked her. Yep, that's the one, she told him. Okay. Giggling and flirting. Come on. She's giggling and flirting with the man 20 years younger. And that's pro move from that bartender. Just jump right in there. Oh, I like Madonna. Send it. He did it. He did a good job. I bet he got a good tip. Or did he die? Um, He got a good tip probably on Pamela's dime. That's fucked up. You gotta stop saying the F word, man. I'm I'm like I'm awkward for you in front of your grandma. Oh man, I'm I'm like minimal compared to the rest of my family with grandma. I'm good. I'm like G-rated compared to them. <laughs> Lois met 76-year-old Ron Mulholland on April 17th, an island property owner at the Padre Rita. Ron was enchanted by Lois and invited her to join him at a local karaoke bar. That sweet ass tattoo, I'm sure. <laughs> The two partied and they sang. He gave Lois his card at the end of the night and invited her to join him for dinner the following evening. 65-year-old Bernadette Mathis was approached by Lois while sitting alone at Liam's Steakhouse and Oyster Bar. The two women hit it off. Mathis was lonely and eager to make a new friend. The two had dinner again the following night. Bernadette Mathis appeared to get intoxicated rapidly. Somehow, the women ended up hot-tubbing back at Bernadette's. Lois slept in the guest bedroom, and Mathis took her new friend out to Rancho Viejo Country Club the next morning for breakfast. They made plans for dinner again at Liam's on April 20th. And it should be noted, Bernadette, probably a target, her house was under heavy surveillance everywhere. 
likely deterred Lois from deploying an attack on oh, her so, that evening. So Lois went for, she went for like a, she was going for lonely. People she was right. And so she was alone and she spent the night there to scope it out basically. Yeah. Yep. That was recon. Gosh, this woman sucks, man. I didn't well, Don Lois had an ability to seduce people with her kindness and her cheery oh, nature. Okay. It happens, but you don't have to kill them. Like, <laughs> yeah. She was she was caught on camera singing with a few women at the Motel 6 pool and was spotted with them at Padre Rita's open mic night later that same evening. After more than a week of prancing around South Padre Island, beguiling strangers, Lois, who was clearly no stranger herself to losing, didn't show any signs of being a fugitive on the run. On April 19th, Lois pulled up to Dirty Owls, a local joint boasting the best seafood on South Padre. Note to self for future restaurant. That's, that's cool. Dirty Owls, I like it. Yeah, best seafood, South Padre. Mm-hmm. Or bar, I feel We're like going. that's a good bar. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's where manager George Higginbotham spotted her. And it took a moment for it all to click as he observed Lois chatting with his waitstaff. But then it hit him, that light bulb moment. He's like, he had that... F- sinking feeling why is she so familiar who is this woman and then it hit him george saw her on cbs this morning and that is why we watch the news ladies and gentlemen that and he's freaking out and as the realization struck he watched lois leave dirty owls didn't have a bar and that's where lois wanted to sit so lois wanted no part of dirty owls After identifying her vehicle, Higginbotham called police. U.S. Marshals were immediately dispatched to the island, and they found her right next door at the Sea Ranch restaurant. Once the exits were secure, U.S. Marshals and local law enforcement entered the Sea Ranch. Lois was seated at her favorite location, the corner spot at the bar top. She didn't seem too surprised when Marshals surrounded her, and announced their presence. She casually accepted her arrest, the first steps in the final stages of her losing streak. Now began. The nearly two-month-long hunt was over. I I, I feel like... um Just trying to understand the psychological aspect of of this. I'm trying to... Because she is cold-blooded. She obviously could give two shits about any human life. She's targeting people... Right. So, I mean, you almost have to to think that she has obviously disassociated from, you know, murdering her husband and all of that. And she is just she is living this fantasy life. I would love to know her mental state. Yeah, I I think you make some some good observations there. And it's just still weird to me to think of anybody who spent as much time as she did loving others to be cold blooded. It it doesn't Mm -mm. compute. Mm -mm. Right. Something that I observed that sort of rubbed me the wrong way that I just had to call out here is that the nationwide search for fugitive Lois Reese, a woman, for two months was referred to as a, quote, manhunt. It feels a smidge archaic. I mean, federal authorities, as well as sheriffs from the sheriffs from Florida and the Bureau Criminal Apprehension Agents from Minnesota, gathered the next day at South Padre Island. And after acquiring all the proper warrants, they amassed plenty of evidence from the Acura and Lois's room at the Motel 6. 
They got a map, a brochure from the Lucky Eagle Casino, pill bottles, piles of clothes, including the white fedora she was seen wearing in surveillance videos when she posed as Pam Hutchinson. They found tissues, soap, and a green and white towel taken from Marina Village, a small stash of Lifestyles Ultra Lube Plus condoms. Okay. Okay. A stash Come of. on. They found oh, those things. right. That is, that is crossing the line. It was logged as evidence. We got to talk about it here. Well, I guess. Well, you know, we got to go, mention go, it. We got to talk go, about it. Go get them at your age, but also, you. They also found Hutchinson's checkbook, four credit cards, and $548 in cash, a black bag with bullets, a holster, duct tape, and rubber gloves inside, two handguns, the Colt Woodsman 22 her father had given her, and a Smith & Wesson 9mm. They also found what appeared to be a trophy, Pamela Hutchinson's sunglasses wrapped in a small hand towel. Okay, well, what, like the white fedora isn't a trophy? I mean... The tattoo, all of it. Uh, I think she right, had multiple. Right, And I believe this is a, a good friend of ours has pointed out that this would be circumstantial evidence. Am I right? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I can't help but imagine the spine-tingling surprise of Bernadette Mathis when she arrived to Liam's steakhouse on April 20th, because she did. She arrived there for her scheduled date with her new pal, Donna, only to be told by the bartender that Donna was a national fugitive wanted for murder. Yeah, yeah. And high five to all those cameras, Bernadette, because it saved your life. No shit. And also, what color hair do you have, Bernadette? (laughs) (laughs) On Tuesday, December 17th, 2019... Lois Reese avoided the death penalty in Florida by agreeing to plead guilty to the 2018 murder of Pamela Hutchinson. She was later extradited to face the murder charge in Minnesota. Investigators spent years building, building their case, but in the end, Lois's attorney arranged a plea agreement. She was sentenced to life in prison in both states. She was allowed to opt for federal prison in Minnesota in order to be closer to her family. The family that talked about her on Inside Edition? Because I'm sure they they want to be there. Only one. Oh, my. On August 11th, 2020, Lois faced her day in Minnesota court. Among the dozens present in the makeshift courtroom held in a high school gymnasium were Lois's children, none of whom had physically seen their mother for over two years since their father's death. Lois recounted Dave's murder on Sunday, March 11th, after she and Dave had, att- had attended their grandson's basketball game in Wisconsin. Lois wanted to stay with her family, but Dave wanted to leave, so they left, and they argued on the drive home. The argument continued into the house and into their bedroom. According to Lois, Dave took a loaded handgun out of the dresser, offered it to her and said, why don't you just kill yourself? Maybe you'll get it right this time. Oh, hang on. No, he didn't say that. This is according to Lois. I know. And she's a piece of shit. So she did not, he did not say that. I don't know. I don't know. He he did say he regretted finding her. So I don't know. But he, he did not say that. She is lying. I don't like her. Mm -mm. (laughs) 
Instead, nope. I mean, and she says this. Instead, she took the gum. She took the gun, aimed it at her husband's chest, and fired twice. Right, and so of course she's like, "Oh, poor me. He said these awful things, so I shot him." That is that is what that is. He did not say that. Mm-mm. The prosecuting attorney quote: "Did you know Dave was dead?" Traub asked. Lois sighed. Yes. What did you do then? Tears pooled in Lois's eyes. I laid down with him. Mm-mm. The judge could not hear her response and asked Lois to repeat it. Quote, I laid down with him. I closed his eyes. So I'm um, sorry, but you closed his eyes after he saw the shot coming because he put his arm up as a defense. Yeah, absolutely. You're a stand up, stand up citizen, ma'am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she was conflicted. I agree, but I do think that Lois was a little conflicted. I don't think she lacked love for her husband. There's no, something going not. on here, but, but she chose that. Yeah, I agree. It's the I, wrong I choice. Mean, Divorce no, is the no. far better choice here. Much better choice. The prosecutor asked, "You made the decision to shoot him?" Lois eyed the attorney. "Quote: He was right in front of me, and I looked at him in the heart and shot him." The most emotional moments in the courtroom that day came from Lois's own children. When Lois's firstborn, Bill, approached the podium, Lois turned in her chair to face him. Quote, you stole something from us we'll never get back. I'll never be able to forgive you. Lois dabbed at her eyes. Bill collected his breath. The hurt you caused my kids, your grandkids? God, they loved you so much. Lois's daughter, Bria, was the last to speak, which she did with great difficulty. Quote, Losing my dad at the hands of my mom is something I'll never be able to process. If I could go back in time to make sure my mom got the help she needed and never killed my dad, those are thoughts that constantly haunt me. Lois winced and nodded crying softly. Like this could have all been avoided if she would have just got help. Like we all get ourselves into shit. We all get ourselves into situations, addictions, whatever it might be. Yeah. And it, and it, and it hurts to hear that from her kids that, and to it, knowing the grandkids and that one, that one gets me that that is it's tough. It's tough to hear. The judge issued the mandatory life sentence without possibility of release. Lois put on a pair of brown plastic glasses to read her own statement. Quote, What I did is an unpardonable crime. Solitude is forever. I feel I deserve this. I will have no reprieve. My life without David is my sentence, my penance. Our children are loving, caring, strong people. She paused, sniffled. It's because of David's strengths that they are that way. My best accomplishment was having our children. She apologized to Dave's family and friends for taking him from you. And lastly, addressed her children, quote, I feel I need to say this. I didn't know how much pain I was in until I wasn't anymore. Look, I will, I will support. Mental health is, is one of like, my biggest things, you know, get yourself the help and, and you don't, you don't know until you're in it. Right. This is, this is one of those things. What did she say to Pamela's family? 
What did she say to them? What did she say to her, she, her to her? She friends? was remorseful for for everything that she did. I mean, there was there was nothing but remorse from her. Uh, like, but I mean, I I get it when she says, "I didn't know how much pain I was in until I wasn't anymore." I think that's something that we can all relate to. And in, in, in at what level? I mean, murdering our husbands and strangers? Probably not. Hopefully not. I mean, you never know. But. Many people wondered what Lois's motive was. Certainly the gambling addiction was an easy target for blame. However, it is unusual for that particular addiction to lead to murder. In fact, suicide is a more common result of life loss in gambling addiction. Other connections were drawn to a history of mental illness in Lois's family. Her mother had a lifelong struggle with hoarding and other mental disorders, eventually resulting in her placement in the state hospital. Lois's other older sister, Cindy, also struggled with clinical depression and anger. Cindy's struggles with mental illness contributed to a violent altercation with her 37-year-old son in 2019. An alcohol-fueled argument led Cindy to eject her her son from her car. She then later found him lying in the driveway of their home and after he refused to get in the vehicle with her, Cindy got in the 2000 Ford Explorer and ran him over. It's Lois's sister. I'm sorry, but clinical depression is not the reason for that. Uh, the, 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 the statistics in this, anger, in this struggling with anger yes. as well mental disorders of, of all sorts when she was arrested and the sheriff asked if she meant to do that she said quote you bet okay <laughs> alright but here's the, here's the scoop is it's shit like that is that narrative that gives people struggling with depression that it, it gives it that stigma and so that is bullshit. I throw my bullshit flag. You ran your kid over because you are a fucking nutcase. That's why. It is not because you're depressed. It's not because you struggle with mental health. You can go... I almost said something that I'm going to regret, and I, I shouldn't say that, but it's come a good, on. It's a good one when Don Palumbo gets fired up. No, I, I, I agree, but, but clearly a, bullshit a, 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 a battery of mental issues from bipolar disorder to potential schizophrenia to For other, sure. uh, For sure. the, the yep. hoarding, um, Lois, you know, did not have a great life growing up. It, it, these aren't excuses, but these are some of the, what's in the package. It, it helps and, explain a little sure. bit, but to use it as an excuse, that's where I, that's where I get fired up. Mm-mm. Lois has since declined interviews and she's left many to wonder what she meant with her cryptic last words, quote, I didn't know how much pain I was in until I wasn't anymore. Yeah. Sources for tonight's episode, the Dodge County Sheriff's Office, the Lee County Sheriff's Office, public court documents from Florida and Minnesota, articles by Amy Bennett Williams, Melissa Montoya, and Michael Braun of the Fort Myers News Press, and a truly sensational story written by John Rosengren called The Pretender, and that was in the Atavist magazine. I'd say for anyone listening to this interested in more, even deeper details, along with some additional thoughts and analysis and comments from people who knew the Reese family, check out the article The Pretender from John Rosengren. The timeline from thenumbers.com and from list25.com as well as from goodhousekeeping.com. 
This episode was written by Jonah Lanto. Midwest Murder is co-hosted by Don Palumbo and Jonah Lanto. Produced it. Produced it. Produced it. Whoa. <laughs> produced by the Good Talk Network. I have to excuse uh, my friend and his words. Another huge thank you to everyone who takes the time to review our show. And thanks again to our big sponsors. Bought us around a beer tonight. Premier Chiropractic. As well as to Shots Crossroads. And thank you, Atypical. atypical. Yeah.